Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. A few days ago, each member of the editorial team was asked to record a video about themselves and the newsletter that they are the editor of. The model example that was given to us was that of my good, close, personal acquaintance, Kit Winder, who recorded a video about his newsletter, New World Investor. Now, we're going to chat about something that he mentioned in there, which caught my eye. But before we do that, you should probably know that Kit and I are very good friends, despite the fact that we disagree about pretty much everything which means this should be an interesting video to watch. Kit, thanks for coming on again. Is it? It will be. It will be interesting. Um, we always have a good debate, Kit and I, because we especially disagree about the uh, the effects that the green energy lobby is have, having on, on the world and on energy so far. But the particular quote, Kit, that you mentioned in your video, uh, which made me very worried and has you very excited, is... Green tech is moving beyond the energy sector. Uh, this terrifies me, but why is it good news? I'd say mainly it's good news because I think the story of the energy transition is not the story of one ideology being imposed upon another. It's the story of trying to find better ways to do things that we already do. So no one is asking for a transition where we get poorer or we can do less things, fly on less holidays, eat less of what we want. All we're trying to do is find better technologies for doing the things that we already do. So if we can drive from A to B and emit 10% of the carbon along the way, that's an absolute win. And if we can do it with the same efficiency or in a nicer car with more te technological attractions, and that's one thing Tesla did. I mean, you can argue from night till day about its valuation and its founder. But one thing it did was show people that electric vehicles can be cool, they can be fast, they can be comfortable, they can be exciting to be in. Uh, and they can also be affordable as well. So just changing that narrative from this is something we must do, just this is something that we want to do because there are better solutions, better services, better products, and that life is going to be better 20 years down the road once this transition is complete. So again, we disagree about everything, Kit, which is interesting. I think Henry Ford's wife used to drive a uh, an electric car back in the day um, when it was viable back then too. But um, the, the part that I want to pick on there is it does seem like we're being told that we can't eat what we want, can't eat meat, must eat bugs, we can't travel, we shouldn't be allowed to travel. So, I mean, energy efficiency is a really good idea. You and I agree about that. And, and I'm sure both of us you know, adjust our lifestyle for that. Uh, but, but it seems to me that the part that people object to when it comes to the green machine is this idea that, that it's being imposed on us and it's ideological. So can, do you think that's just the media sort of portraying the movement in a, in a misleading way or is there you know, something else behind this? No, I think it's a, a really reasonable point. There are a vast number of people within uh, any energy transition or within sustainability or the green movement, whatever we're calling it, who do think that that's the best way to challenge it. And there is there are a lot of gains to be made by switching from beef to vegetables or from beef down to chicken and pork or whatever however you want to do it there are efficiency gains all the way down that food chain if we fly less then there's a lot less that we have to do in terms of the technological solutions so it's just how do you want to tackle it but i mean one of the big arguments is around uh oil and gas obviously should we keep exploring for them should we keep burning them do we need them uh, and are they to blame for the climate crisis as well and what i always say is um you know america has made the mistake of waging a war on drugs uh, when they really needed to wage a war on demand and if demand is there the products will find a way 
And if you make them illegal, those ways will just be slightly more harmful to society. Um, and I think the same is probably um, somewhat true with oil and gas. We've spent a lot of time saying, you know, stop the drilling. And there isn't, you know, I think people exaggerate the extent to which the current crisis is the result of the green movement stopping energy majors from drilling. I think they see the writing on the wall for a 25 year project and it's hard to get financing for something like that today. But the the reality is, is that if demand is still there for oil, um, that's really the challenge. And so I think there's there's been a bit of a pivot there. Electric vehicles are coming in, re- renewables are taking ever greater shares of the grid. And now we're seeing things like uh, the food industry. So this is a great example where, you know, they want us to eat less meat or they want us to eat less beef is an understandable complaint to have about the green movement. But what I would look at from an investment perspective is how are some companies or some technologies trying to offer a better way. So instead of reducing it, can we just produce beef in a better way? And uh, an example of that would be cultivated meat. So they can now do a small biopsy of cells from a cow. They can then grow beef from that. So it is genetically identical to meat. It's not an alternative protein or a replacement protein like what we see on the supermarket shelves today. Uh, And so you're going to be able to have your beef, but with 95% 95% lower water use, 50% lower energy use, 99% lower land use because you're doing this in a lab, in a manufacturing facility, rather than cutting down 100 acre of, acres of forest to grow corn for one acre of cows to grow beef for one very small town in Argentina where beef consumption per capita is through the roof. I watched a very old episode of The X-Files last night. We're, uh, we're starting from the beginning, my wife and I, and it was the episode about uh, growth hormones being used in, in, in cows for beef and the local you know, teenagers have, had ingested these and uh, it all went terribly wrong. And it seemed, there was a lot of climate change par- parallels um, in this TV show because of these fears of the unknown and, and the scientific side. But you mentioned something there, that, that food side, which is really what we're trying to dig into here. What else is the green machine going to start changing about our life? We've, we've done food. We've obviously experienced energy uh, and, and the consequences. Um, what's next? Very subtly done. We've experienced energy and the consequences. I don't think we have at all yet. I think the future of energy uh, is a much happier picture than the one we have today. It's not dominated by oil exporting comp- companies. It's locally sourced. It's cleaner. Those who lived in big cities, especially in South Asia, where pollution is so bad, in those major industrial cities will have experienced life without pollution for a period of time and that is what awaits us and i think um you know one in ten premature deaths globally are from air pollution which is more than hiv aids and tuberculosis combined so a a world where we don't have pollution nick is is really the consequences of the energy transition and it's not uh, in fact the energy crisis we're seeing today i think it's important to stress that uh within food there's just uh I think going to be a lot, a lot more innovation. I think people will probably be scared of the amount of science uh, that's going into their food. But all I would say in that regard is you'd probably be terrified by uh, the science that goes into our food today, the amount of antibiotics, um, the growth hormones that you mentioned, the incredible work that's been done, um, you know, to remove 2,999 species of banana. So that we only have one perfect species left, leaving it completely vulnerable to pathogens and all the rest of things. And I just think, you know, when you consider that something like three and four antibiotics taken in the world are taken by a cow, uh, it'd be pretty nice to eat meat, even though it was grown from a biopsy and then in a lab just to be a perfect burger without the whole bone structure outside. And, you know, one of the benefits there is you can grow a burger in two weeks, but it takes two years to grow a cow and then cut it down for a burger. Um, but the, the science, we're getting better science, we're not getting new science. Uh, I think that's important. So yeah, um, 
the technological improvements will be interesting to see. I myself, uh, as a food lover, understand all scepticism regarding taste, texture, content, and yeah, you know, there's an unease around it, but there was unease around the plant, the plant-based proteins that came in over the last five years, but now they're completely ubiquitous. The taste and the cost uh, are basically at parity with the real thing, and um, those transitions they just take time. There's a tipping point, and and that's what we're really excited, I think, about investors is the way the costs of things are coming down, the way that that drives disruption, and just the slow way that the mainstream catches hold of something that investors can get in much earlier than that. Yeah, when it makes sense, it inherently happens anyway. Um... What about construction materials and things like that? I understand there's a big movement. Um, and, and I know from, from my own um, investing expertise in gold stocks that energy, green energy, climate change issues are, are a big part of that. How's the world changing there? Yeah, I mean, a heap of ways. One of the classic criticisms of, of energy transition of the sustainability movement is the amount of materials that we're going to need to build the infrastructure required to generate renewable electricity, wind turbines, solar panels, electric vehicles batteries, these things use enormous amounts of materials that we're not really geared up to to take out in enough quantity. And also the mining sector is not exactly the most environmentally friendly one. The way it does things is very petrol based, a lot of vehicles, it rips up the earth, it pollutes local water systems. Um, so there's a lot of problems there, but there are just ways that that's getting better. You might be interested to know that autonomous vehicles have a happy home in mining sites before they're available on roads because they have pre-prescribed routes mm. no people involved makes them much safer and safety is the key thing for mining and autonomous vehicles massively reduce um fuel use as well um for a number of reasons and you can do that in the mine as well uh then you have things like in situ mining uh which could be comparable comparable to shale oil recovery maybe where instead of ripping up the earth and then you know extracting the gold or the silver from the ore, um, which is the system we've used for a long time. And in gold, I know they use cyanide to do that. Um, in situ mining is where you drill holes into the ground, and then you can filter water. You can filter a solution, a chemical solution around that earth, and it essentially uh, just sucks those chemicals out without destroying the earth. And that that has a much smaller land energy footprint. Uh, and it's just very exciting to see that those little projects in gold and silver, for example, also in lithium, in cobalt uh, and copper, you're starting to see those things come through. Um, and that is just borrowing from the technology and experience that we have from fossil fuel energy and applying that to the new commodities. Um, so those things are, are very exciting with resources. And I just think um, the complaints about how much stuff it's going to use, uh, although they're very valid, they're sort of technologically we can overcome those. China has cornered a lot of the market, but that's something that we can just change over a multi-year period. We can build our own refineries. We can properly scout the, the metals that we need. One of the things I've always wondered about New World Investor is whether you have people like me you know, on, your, on your list, uh, on your subscribers, who basically think that everything that's wrong with the world is caused by you know, the green machine, by this, this climate change lobby. Uh, and yet it is such a, a self-sustaining, powerful force. You'd be an idiot not to invest in it. Or are, are your subscribers all true believers? I thought everything that's wrong with the world was caused by central bankers, Nick. Yeah, well, they've, they've been focusing on climate change a lot recently, haven't they? <laughs> oh, it's nice when things come together, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think, I think there's certainly uh, a range of opinions among the subscribers. I think mostly people just recognize from an investment perspective 
the financial opportunity that's available here. So we've seen in 2020 what happened with with the energy sector and you know the average return of a stock or an ETF in in that year for clean technology was something around 200%. And we just saw a whole number of them break through a thousand percent in a single year. And that sort of takeoff moment when a disruptive trend has carried enough companies to a point where they're economically competitive with the incumbents, they're stealing market share from them, they're witnessing exponential growth. It's very risky for a lot of funds, for a lot of capital managers to invest before that point. They're sort of too small. They're too risky. They don't fit in with the mandates of the funds. But the moment that these companies cross a threshold, maybe even of just market capitalization or of volatility where they're uh, not so volatile that a fund can't invest in them, what we saw was that a huge amount of capital was trying to squeeze itself into actually what is quite a small pool of companies that are changing the game in energy. Uh, and the the returns available there were just extraordinary. I think we're definitely seeing something similar with food, the the disruptive curve that cellular meat is on, and the incredible inefficiencies of, as I say, 100 acres of land for one acre of cows for one small town of people, the amount of water that uses, the amount of energy that uses, the amount of time it takes, two years, those things can all be cut by genuinely 50 to 95%. Uh, and when you consider that the the cost of everything is going up, to be able to reduce your inputs in that way is just a phenomenally powerful thing. So uh, I think now that the, the energy crisis and the Ukraine crisis, the supply chain crisis, the onshoring desire of all governments, they fit into essentially what we're saying, which is finding better, more efficient ways to do this. Technology is going to be a big part of that. Um, but there's also, you know, you mentioned construction materials. People have started using wood again, timber, finding ways to make it stronger. There's a company doing acetylation which is a chemical process which sort of doubles uh, its useful life doubles its water and fire resistance you know people are just coming up with very interesting ways to to do things in a, a more constructive more sustainable fashion uh, and i think that can only be for the better are you worried about the the uh, negative feedback rightly or wrongly directed at the green machine over all of this cost of living and energy problems or is do you think it's just growing pains or are we actually looking at some sort of crisis? No, I think criticism is entirely valid. I think um, we're, we're undergoing a global systemic change. We're saying it goes beyond energy. The food sector is valid. Resources and mining, transportation, every sector that you imagine is going to have to be working its way to net zero because the climate uh, consequences of not doing so are, are in many ways catastrophic. It's fair to say that what we're witnessing at the moment is catastrophic, a catastrophic political event in Eastern Europe. Uh, the energy prices that are soaring, the cost of living crisis, you know, in the UK, a developed country. But imagine the effect that that's having across the world, the number of African countries who, who import 90 percent of their wheat from Russia and Ukraine. You know, food prices going up by 100 percent a month in places that can afford it far less than we can. That is that is a crisis that needs alleviating, too. And I think. The criticism of the green energy transition comes from when people go to an extreme place where they are unwilling to turn on a coal station to power a place that has no electricity. Sometimes it's okay to put short-term um, factors ahead of the long-term. What I've been pleased by um, is just the way that a lot of things have been contextualised within the framework of net zero. So the UK issued an energy security strategy in the wake of the Ukraine invasion and uh, the rise in fossil fuel prices. And, and it offered some concessions to building all energy sources, because to an extent, that's what we might need in this decade. But it also reaffirmed the net zero commitments. And I think 
Um, while that criticism does exist, you know, Australia recently had an election and the very climate skeptic, climate skeptic party run by Scott Morrison, who brought coal into parliament, they lost. And, you know, this sort of new brand of teal conservatives, they won a lot of favour. Labour, who are much more uh, conscious about the climate and have promised now a clean break with, with Australia's uh, political past on that front. They've done well. And that's a story imported from the UK, where net zero is one of the most popular uh, policies on offer. Something like 92% of parties uh, that had it in their manifesto got the votes. Uh, and, you know, when you gov polling, it's one of the most favoured policies as well. So I think the criticism is important because a lot of mistakes will be made in a very complicated process that will cause a lot of damage along the way. But it's important to set that damage against the greater damage that A, would be uh, would be caused by doing nothing and B, that is being averted by transitioning to a better, better thing. We're not saying it's going to be perfect, but there will be no collateral damage along the way. It's going to be a very difficult path and it's being run by politicians, Nick, and I'm sure you agree that that means it will not be smooth and the criticism will hopefully be pushing them in the right direction. But um, yeah, I, I'm currently still very confident that this is what people want that this is being delivered slowly and in a wiggly path through wrong directions. Um, but yeah, overall, I think I'm still positive. Yeah, I think that's an interesting idea that it's sort of a form of growing pains. But um, I'm reminded of the H.L. Mencken quote. It goes something like, uh, democracy is the idea that people know what they want and deserve to get it good and hard. And I think we should end there because that's what the green energy transition has done to us. If they're coming after the rest of our lives, I am worried for one. Thanks very much, Kip, for joining us and for putting up for my ideological pokes of your belief. Always a pleasure, Nick. I love chatting to you.